1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Everybody put on your seatbelt. <laughs> I got a lot of pages of notes. All right. Um, okay, we're going to read first 1 through 12. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such." As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given to us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we came out of you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, as we look at this um, tonight, Lord, that you would just, um, these would be your words and not my words, and that you would just guide um, our study tonight, our table time, and just um, this teaching, Lord, we just give you all the glory and praise in your name. Amen. <laughs> All right, um, I need a tissue. Is there a tissue somewhere? Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, my nose is like running all over. All right, so we saw the last time at the end of chapter 2 that Paul prays for the Thessalonians and Paul's prayer for the sanctification of the Christians in Thessalonica. Thank you. My nose keeps running. Um, okay, it's always so refreshing to see Christians who are eager to grow spiritually but as we grow older in the Lord, it's easy to drift into a humdrum spiritual life where we lose the eagerness to grow. And if we aren't careful, the Christian life can become routine. I've been there. Has anybody been there? And the freshness of our first love for Christ fades. Just like the first, you know, when you're all excited when you first get married, you're all in love and it's all fabulous. And, you know, you got all those feelings. And, you know, 28 years later, it's like, you feel like you're just in a routine, and you're like, okay, let's, we need to get back to our first love. How do we do this and do it right and honor God? I feel like there are times in my life when I just wasn't excited about growing in my walk, where I had to push myself to read the Bible and to look for God working in my life. One of that seasons was, sorry, girls, was when my girls were little. Um, it just, I just felt like all I was doing was, um, taking care of kids, you know, we're three under five, and he was planning a church, and I just, he was gone, he was working a full-time job, so he was gone, that and the church, he was gone six, seven days a week, and um, had quiet time, I was just happy to get the wash done, and a shower, and meals on the table, like, my quiet times were very weak, and, um, and, it, and I really had to push myself to read the Bible, and to seek him, and I felt like, God, if I didn't obey by seeking him, he would bring major lessons in my life. Um, one of them was a repeated 
part of my girls getting head lice. It just would not go away. <laughs> it's funny now, but I'll tell you then. Look, look, I'm already a chin. <laughs> it was not funny then. I was bawling, but I tell you what, it'll bring you to your knees before Christ because I'm like, where is it? I just couldn't figure out where it was coming from because I'm like, I'm ready to shave their heads bald. They were already like this short, you know? Um, you know, you're outside. I don't care if it's 30 degrees. I need you outside so I can see with the sun what's in your head. You know what I mean? But it, it, the Lord would use things in my life to get my attention. And it was always thing, trials like that or um, to just make me slow down, to make me sit at his feet, to not care about things of the world and not what's going on this, there, whatever. So God would use things in my life um, to, to work. To, and then I would see him working because I'd be bawling. I cannot put all their stuffed animals away one more time for, you know, to get rid of this. Please, Lord, please answer my prayer and get rid of this lice or whatever it may be. Sometimes he would just make me sick. And I'm like, how can I be sick? I have three kids to take care of. But he would make me sick to make me listen. I'm not really sure why there are different times in my life where it's been a little harder. I know when my girls were little, it was a different season in my walk with the Lord than where it is when they got older, when they could bathe themselves or um, dress themselves, or they started having their own devotion time. We'd all be making our hot teas, and it would be like the candle be lit, and all having our devotions in our little spot. It just, the seasons would change. And I always liked that they saw me and their father having our devotions, because I wanted them to see that it was a priority in our life, that it was important. Or even the last few years, maybe, where the cares of this world have gotten to you, right? It's been a little, little crazy these past few years. Um, or even you're a little distracted with fears and worries, right? I mean, that's all. If you watch news or TV, it's just fears and worries. Just That's all they're throwing at you constantly. Um, it gets you distracted. But that's okay because he's there and he's faithful. Paul is praying for the process of sanctification taking place in their lives. As we move into chapter 4, Paul speaks of this process as our walk as Christians, our conduct before our brothers and sisters in Christ, and our walk or conduct in this world. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we move into the instructional part of this letter. Paul has shown them how much he's cared for them. He was concerned for their spiritual stability under the persecution that they were enduring. And now he addresses some more concerns like their moral purity, the love of the brethren, and the need to work for a living. Um, the chapter starts out, finally, brethren, in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So we knew they had received a new birth. They were believers. He addressed them. Finally, brethren, finally then, brethren, they were in God's family. Paul had taught them so much about Christian ethics. Remember, it had only been three weeks that he had been there teaching them the basics. Believing in Jesus as your personal Savior is more than a consent to the gospel. To truly believe in Jesus means there's a heart change. It's, there's a changed heart. Your desires are different than they were before. Now you love God rather than being indifferent toward him. You love him. You want to please him. You delight in his word, which is food for your soul. It's your nourishment. Even if you don't understand it, I remember there's plenty of times where I would sit down and I'm like, I don't understand any of this. But God would be faithful. I would ask him, Lord, show me. You know, um, I would go to the easier books in the Bible, Psalm or Proverbs. Still, Revelation's still hard for me. Um, I would, and I would ask him, Lord, show me, even if it's just one verse. I, I don't need to read three chapters. Just give me a chapter and let me digest that chapter. Show me. Speak to me. 
You hate sin, you turn from it and strive to be more like Jesus, who is holy. You seek to obey Lord and please him and are out of thankfulness for Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you're not who you were. Right? Amen. That changes these commands from being burdensome, burdensome to a blessing from our loving Savior. It changes our motivations from striving to earn God's favor to wanting to please him because we are the objects of his favor. Do you feel that today? Do you feel like you're the object of his favor? It's the difference between hiring someone to clean um, your house and she does it because she's getting paid or a wife doing it out of love. And I can remember that time, at times, I'm sure we all are there, I'm so sick of cleaning this bathroom, it's like routine. And I was one of those when the girls were younger, Tuesdays I did the bathroom, Wednesdays I did the, now I'm not like that anymore. I'm like, that's ridiculous, I'm getting crazy. Um, But I would get an attitude, you know, like he gets to go to work all day and talk to adults and conquer something. What am I conquering here? And I would get in my head about it and really have a bad attitude and really get ugly in my heart. And I'd have to ask the Lord, Jesus, help me. Because I know I'm, I'm, I'm mainly, most importantly, I'm doing this to serve my family, but I should be doing this to honor you, Lord. And I tell you, when I put that perspective, when I took that hat off of why I was doing it and I put the right hat on, it changed my perspective. I got excited about making meals. Okay, I'm not a fancy cooker. I, but I can look up recipes and learn. Like, and I just wanted, I enjoyed serving my family in that way. And I think when the, when the Lord gives you that perspective, it's, it's, it's so much more fun when, you, when you're honoring him. So you're doing it out of love, the cleaning, cooking, and all the little and big things. You know, you guys know what you do. Some of you are working. Um, I work part-time as well. So do it for the Lord. That's for the Lord as well. So to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, you must be in the Lord Jesus through believing the gospel. The Christian life is a walk. It's not a leap. We wish it was, especially in our society. We don't get where we need to be in a sudden flash. It takes time to walk somewhere, and it takes time to grow in the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded of the simple gospel and the truth of God that he loves me and is so patient with me. I need to be reminded of my, what my life was like before Christ because it makes me so thankful for where I am today and what my life looks like because of my walk with Christ. Sometimes I sit down and I say, Lord, I can't imagine where I would be if my aunt didn't come get me for a meal and say, come to my house for dinner and be faithfully coming to get me. I was a 15-year-old lost. I was lost, and I was filling anything that I thought was love with boys, attention, any attention I could get. I was petrified of drugs, so I never tried drugs. But I just think, God, where would I be? I have aunts that I don't see anymore that I know are prostitutes. Um, I know they're um, dying with diseases. Um, I I have uh, cousins that are gay that have different names that are boys, and I'm just like, Lord, you pulled me out of that. Like, it's so good for us to remember where we once were, but we're not, that isn't who we are anymore. We're new in Jesus. It's the slate's been clean. We're a new person. We're going forward. But God, thank you. Thank you for pulling me out of that. Because where would I be? I wouldn't have this family that I have for sure. I, 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 don't, I don't even, I don't even, I can't imagine. I, I'd probably be dead um, and not with Jesus. 
So we need to remind ourselves, but don't be condemned by it. You're saved by grace. God's given you a new slate, new life, move forward. Um, Paul reminded these new believers that sexual immorality did not please God. For For God created sex, and he has the authority to govern its use. And he has put, um, and he spends a lot of time on this in here, so it's very important. Paul reminded these new believers um, that sexual immorality did not please him. For God created sex from the beginning. He established marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. God's commandments concerning sex are not for the purpose of robbing people of joy, but protecting them from so much baggage. And I am one to say there is so much baggage with that. And I think it's different than some other sin personally because I feel like that sin is with your body. So I feel like when you've slept with someone before you're saved or whenever and made that mistake, you, I always feel like, you know, and I would tell my girls, you're giving a piece of yourself away and you can never, ever, ever get it back. Now, the Lord can make you white as snow again, and I believe that with all my heart. But I feel that the Lord, the enemy, can play with your mind with either dreams that he'll haunt you with and try and mess you up or um, thoughts. I've also um, walked down the road. Some of you, most of you might know, I've been molested by two family members who I trusted. So even that can, taking it a step further, can allow you to get head down roads that are not healthy. So sexual immorality is, he's, you know, he really pulls it in here and really gives us parameters, even with our, I think women struggle with our thoughts, and we think, okay, nobody knows. It's just up in here. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows I'm hurting about that because I can hide it, or nobody knows I'm struggling with that because only God knows, you know? But um, I, I think it's really important to rein those thoughts in. So I'm getting on a tangent, sorry. Um, Okay, where was I? Okay, so um, I want to encourage you to talk to your kids. I didn't really have anybody talk to me. Um, I had the wrong people talk to me about it. And so I did was very open with my girls about that. And I I heard a statement said that if you don't talk to your kids by the time they're eight, somebody will, which is so sad, eight years old. And we kept it very simple, like, you can make it fun. Um, we never gave them, this is what you do, A to Z. No, 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 no. Like, you know, very simple. You know, the Lord will give you wisdom. You and your husband pray about it, how to do that. But talk to them because they're, they're, they're going to say, well, everybody else is doing it. Why not? Explain to them the reasons why not. Make it fun. It doesn't have to be weird. Um, I hear a lot of people that say it's hard, you know, how do I talk to my kids about it? So I just want to encourage that. There is a healthy way to do it. And, um, and, and, I, and get to it before someone else says wrong things to them, and then you have to undo it, because I had that, I do that with one of my daughters as well. So God will give you wisdom. Also, the Christian life is not an effortless flight, effortless flight, when you soar above the problems below. Sometimes it's presented this way when you learn the secret of letting go and letting God. Your striving ceases. But the picture of walking with God requires some effort, Right? If you're walking closely with someone, um, it provides an opportunity to get to know that person. Like when you go on a walk or a hike on a trail, um, there's no distractions. I used to love um, when the girls were teenagers, car rides, because it just seems like that's when we opened up and we just talked about everything under the sun. 
there was no distraction, no TV, no phones while they could be ringing, but for some reason they didn't ring in the car. Um, so that's how it is with your walk with the Lord. You know, it's like a slow walk. As believers, we get to know God through his word and talk to him with prayer. We get to know him by spending time with him daily. The destination of our walk is not a mountaintop, but conformity to Jesus Christ. We move steadily toward becoming holy as he is holy. We grow to become more like him as his character qualities, like him and his character qualities. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I can remember when I first came to Christ, how quickly my desires changed of the things you, you wanted or the things that you were, um, like cussing. Like I never had to say, Lord, please help me to stop cussing. It just stopped, which is really cool. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such is no law. You could just spend all day or all week on that doing a Bible study. So There's just some awesome words there. Colossians 2.6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, then so walk in him. That's what he tells us to do, walk in him. Occasionally, Paul uses the analogy of the Christian life as a race. We've heard that in the Bible, which has some useful lessons, but more often it's a walk, a steady, step-by-step journey toward a chosen destination, which is holiness. There are occasional setbacks, but if you get back up and keep going, you're going to make progress. Paul acknowledges that the Thessalonians are walking, so as to please God, but he encourages them to excel more, right? Who doesn't need encouragement? We all could use encouragement. We never get to a place where we can say, I've arrived. I'm here. Or our flesh might say we think we've arrived, but we haven't arrived. Now, I am I'm fully conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, so I don't need to grow anymore. Hogwash. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'll tell you that right now. Aren't you glad the prophet of Hosea said, in the, said this in um, in Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. We got to keep on going. We got to keep pursuing. So if your quiet time is not what you want it to be, ask the Lord to show you how to do it different. Maybe go to a different chair. Maybe go to a different spot in the house. Maybe go outside. Maybe go to a park. Maybe whatever it might be. Um, I have journaled all of my life since I came to the Lord as a teenager, and I have tennis elbow now. So journaling is not, I can't do it. Like, I've just had to take a break from journaling. And it's weird because at first I was like, Lord, my back's slidden. I can't journal to you anymore. Like, I was such a routine. That's what I did. Like, I sat, journaled, read my devotion, read my Bible, prayed, wrote everything out. And um, I haven't journaled in a while. Um, and I'm just like, you know what, Lord? No, you're still, this is just my own routine in my head. You can make this fresh and new and different, you know, so sometimes the Lord just wants to spice it up. He wants to change it up. Um, so it's okay if it, there's a change. It's different. Um, okay. We never get to a place where we say we can arrive. We got to keep going. Paul applies this to himself in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had written that 25 years ago, and it still applies. After he became a Christian, 25 years. Is he, if he still fe felt the need to press on into the Lord, how much more do we all need to grow? 25 years. Wow. If you're stagnant or if you're in a rut in your walk with the Lord, do whatever it takes to start growing again. Ask the Lord to show you, and he will. Make it a commitment to get up a little earlier to meet with the Lord. Get a good book on spiritual life and read it prayerfully. Change whatever you must. I'm going to say it again, ladies. Change whatever you must in order to grow in Jesus. It is vital. Verse 2 says, You know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul didn't make these words up himself. They came to him from the Lord. Right? He's just not making these up. Who is the only source of absolute moral truth? We see today that our culture does not believe in absolute moral truth and that a lie has been even infiltrated into the church. Jesus claimed to be the truth and to be the source of truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we start bending God's word to fit with our godless culture, we will not grow in our walk with the Lord. It is getting crazy out there. I am so thankful I do not have kids in school. We will not please him or help further his kingdom in righteousness. And the longer we are Christians, the easier it is to become routine in your relationship with the Lord and lose the freshness of walking daily with him. We need to encourage one another to get back on a path of obeying and walking with God. As we get into the word each day, ask him, how can I apply this to my heart? How can I use this, Lord? Show me. Speak to me. Help me to grow. Where's an area that needs to grow? Where's an area I need more kindness? I need more love. Or I need to be more forgiving. First um, John 5.3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. I love this reminder to keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Sometimes we make it complicated as women, don't we? I know we've all struggled wanting to know what the will of, of God is. Well, here he says it right here in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage moms with kids, though. God will guide you in what you're supposed to do with them. God will provide for private school, or he'll give you the amazing ability to homeschool them. So don't be discouraged. I didn't mean to discourage you if I discouraged you. <laughs> but it is different time. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine. Schools are, it's just, it's sad. It's, it's breaking your heart. So not a fun subject at all, but we are drowning in a ton of sexual grossness in this nation. It is everywhere, everywhere. It's in our music. It's in our books where they say things that would never have been allowed in different times in our nation than today. It's in our television programs. 
every movie you turn on, and it's become the preoccupation of millions of people on their computer as they ex access pornography on their internet. We're not only a society that is literally drowning in the sea of sexual evil, but we seem to be enjoying it. It seems to be highly approved. As a nation, we don't really care about the sexual sin of our leaders. We don't care about anyone's sexual sin, honestly, because we think it's a private matter. It has nothing to do with anybody else, they think. People who appear to be honest, pure, and devout, and faithful to their spouses are the oddity, and in many cases, the enemy, and we're laughed at, we're made fun of. Paul is talking here about sanctification, our sanctification. That is the process of becoming holy. The word literally means to be separated, and it has to do with being separated from sin. All that is wicked, and all that is impure, and all that is fleshly. It means set apart. It is separated from sin. It's separated from sin to God. It's used in verse 4 and verse 7, and it's kind of the theme here. God is calling for a separated living to come apart from sexual sin. The phrase sexual sin or immorality covers the whole range of sexual sins. That can mean anything that goes against God's design, which is between one man and one wife. For those living in Thessalonica, they understood what this meant because in their society, perversion was accepted. Many of those who had turned from idols to serve the living God had come out of a religion that sex was actually part of their worship. And not sex with their wife, but with a temple prostitute. I read that the Greeks, Greeks in that day had this mindset, ladies. We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for day-to-day -day needs of the body. We keep wives for the beginning of children and for the faithful guardianship of their home. That was their, their mindset. So as long as a man supported his wife and family in the home, there was no shame in extramarital affairs. It was just accepted. Our world today is not much different than the world of Paul. Sadly, Paul gives us three ways in which you can abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4 says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Paul is saying that a believer must maintain self-control over the desires of the flesh. In other words, we must know how to control our own bodies. We must understand our weaknesses, our tendencies, to avoid, resist, and flee from those things that play to our weaknesses. God gave heterosexual marriage as a legitimate place for sexual relations. Whether single or married, both men and women need to control sexual lust beginning on the thought level. We must guard our thought life and put a huge fence around our marriage as sacred. Girls, if there is an area that is a weakness for you or a person at your job or at the coffee store or um, somewhere that is a weakness for you, run. Don't think you're strong enough to battle with it. Tony and I have celebrated, we will, we will be celebrating January 7th, 28 years of marriage. And I tell you, in the 28 years of marriage, um, even before we had Abby of doing ministry, sitting with Bible study with friends who were married, um, people we did ministry with who are divorced now. And it just baffles me. You know, it just, it just breaks my heart because of one poor choice 
after another. And I'm telling you, it's those little tiny subtle compromises, those little tiny, it's not like, you know, it's not like sin says, woohoo, here I am. If you do this, your life's going to be a wreck and your kids will never talk to you again. Then we would be like, oh no, I don't want to do that. No, it's those little like enticements. It's little like, oh, you know, if he just smiled at you, you know, it's okay. Just smile back. Whatever, whatever it might be, you fill in the blanks. You know, it's very easy, but it, it just grieves my heart um, because I've watched their kids suffer because of the poor choices they've made. The end of the verse four says, in sanctification and honor, honoring God, honor God by honoring your marriage. When we do this, we show respect for our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Next in verse 5, the second way to abstain from sexual immorality is by not behaving as those, as those who do not know God. Those who do not know God are controlled by their sinful desires. They have not been transformed like we have by God's work of salvation. As Christians, we can no longer live this kind of life. God has delivered us from habitual sinning. We're free. But we need this instruction to remind us that we do not need to live this way, but instead we can choose to walk in holiness. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God's moral laws are like traffic laws. You can disobey them for a while and perhaps get where you want to go faster, but sooner or later you're going to hit a curve going too fast, and you're going to hit a pole, and you'll suffer the consequences. And they're going to be painful and long and not fun. God's laws are designed by the creator to protect us. If you get to a place where you feel you don't love your spouse the same, then confess it to the Lord. Get some counseling. Confide in someone for accountability. Ask the Lord, give me that fire. Let me be all that he needs and wants. I don't want someone else looking better than me. I don't want someone else getting his attention. You know, you ask, go before the Lord. And, and maybe he's not being the husband he should be, but who cares? You be who the Lord wants you to be as his wife. Thirdly, we see in verse 6, Paul goes on and tells us why we need to abstain from sexual immorality and seek to be holy. And you know, if you be who the Lord wants you to be, he's going to grow. And he'll be who God wants him to be by watching you. Because the Lord is the avenger of all, Paul further says in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Sexual immorality hurts other people. People are not to be used for one's own self-gratification. The Lord judges and disciplines those he loves, and if we give in to our lust, we will feel God's discipline in our lives, and that's him loving us again. Paul brings the discussion back to God's will in verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. God wants sexual purity. Anything else is unholy, impure, unspiritual, and just unchristian. Paul concludes with reminding the readers it is God's idea and not Paul's. It's not his own. 
Verse 8, he says, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. Since God is sharing his life with nature and nature with us, and this is the life we want for all eternity, then as best as we can, with his spirit transforming us, our lives should be holy and conform to the pattern that Jesus Christ gave us. Lastly, in verses 9 through 11, Paul moves to two other areas. And these are just shorter. He spent a lot more time on sexual morality because they must have really needed it. Um, he talks about love and work. He doesn't say much about either one because the Thessalonians apparently were doing good in this area. So verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so all toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you. Paul had planted several churches in Macedonia, Philippi, and Berea, and the Thessalonian Christians had shown their love to the brothers and sisters in Christ. He encouraged them, increase, show them more love, do it more and more. In other words, he says, good job, keep up the good work, keep going, you're doing well, love more. And Paul finally instructs them how, how their walk is to be before the Lord in verses 11 and 12 which we've read, verse 11, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. What does Paul mean by a mean to lead a quiet life? He uses a similar phrase in 1 Timothy 2.2, that we should pray for kings and all who are in authority, authority that they may lead a quiet life. Paul mentions a similar quality when he encourages wives to win their unbelieving husbands without a word that they may, may be won by the conduct of their wives in 1 Peter 3.1. In both settings, the goal is a godly witness, not through a preaching, but through behavior, behavior that demonstrates contentment and peace in Christ. I had a really good friend do this in York. Her husband had cheated on her with someone at his job, left her, they got divorced, and she never remarried. She said, no, he'll come back to me. The Lord, he, she just really still loved him. He was her high school sweetheart. And she waited for him, and he came back, said, I'm sorry, I want you back. She was a believer at this time. She married him, knowing he was an unbeliever, but she still loved him. They had had children together, wanted to continue. And um, 10 years later, he accepted the Lord, and my husband baptized him before we left York. And they are walking with the Lord, and their kids moved back to the area. And I'm telling you, Watching her, I just kept saying, "How do you? How are you going to do this? How, this like it was just so mind blowing." And she wouldn't say much. She would even ask, "Is it okay if I go to church? If I is it okay if I go to Bible study?" And he actually opened up the home where um, Tony did the Bible study in, and would sit in the basement. Tony, Tony's probably shared this. He would sit in the basement and smoke his cigars while Tony would be upstairs doing the Bible study where the church uh, got started in York. Um, and then all those years later for him to come to the Lord, you know, so God's always working, you know, um, sometimes I think we got to, we got to talk to our, you know, our, per, the other person we're trying to win's ears fall off, but sometimes we can do it just by our actions. In both settings, the goal is the godly witness, not through preaching, preaching, but through behavior that demonstrates contentment and peace in Christ. To mind your own business means that we should not be busybodies or gossipers meddling in matters that are none of your business. 
He doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about other people's problems, but rather we should be known as those who can be trusted with confidential information without babbling it all over. To work with your own hands here refers to taking care of your family's needs. That is mentioned in Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartily for the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, if you work out of the home, do it for the Lord. Don't do it for your manager or your boss. If I have a bad day, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm doing this for you. Help me to show kindness. Help me to show love. And verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside you and that you may lack nothing. People are watching you whether you see it or not. And especially your children, they are watching you. I watched the Christians in my life. I watched my aunt. Because I didn't believe she was, I kept waiting, she's going to fail. She's going to mess up. She's going to say a curse word or she's going to, I don't know what she's going to do. She's going to put on a soap opera because we weren't allowed to watch them. She's going to do something. I just kept, you know, I really watched her. I mean, she felt, she said, I would feel you watching me because I just didn't believe she was real. Like, so people are watching you. And I'm not saying that we got to be perfect. You know, there's God's grace. But just remember that. Like, I think we often forget, even the, the people closest to us are watching us. His little people are watching us. Is this real? And it was real. That's what made my heart want what she had, because I saw it was real. I saw the kind of mother she was, and I'm like, I want to be that kind of mother. I want, I want that. This would be a powerful testimony and make the gospel believable. It became believable. It became real life to me. It wasn't a book. I watched her be a mom. I watched her be a wife, and it became real, a real testimony. I hope we all know that we as the church need to be a shining light in this midst of this impure world, and it is hard. It is dark out there. It is ugly. We need to shine light on this corrupt world without being touched by it. So many of those around us see so may those around us see the best of what marriage is and the best of what marital love and affection is. May they see the best examples of integrity that we will shine as lights wherever God has us in this society. I'm going to end with this poem. I went a little longer tonight, so I apologize, but it was a lot of needy stuff. <laughs> Teach me, Lord, the ways of truth so that I may not abuse my youth. In idle things that will not give instructions on the way to live, bless me with a godly mind that I may walk and be most kind. To all of those who may know the Christian way in which to go, teach me, Lord, in my old age to see your goodness in every page of my Bible as I read of how you will meet my every need. Please teach me, Lord, this prayer. I pray to serve you now in every way. Let's pray.